Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come together to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Josh. And I'm DM Matt. And today on the Dungeon Master's Block, we have DM Mitch, DM Neil, and DM Chris to answer questions in a good old-fashioned AMA-style episode. And DM Josh, where do these DMs hail from? They hail from none other than the DMs block, man. Now, before we begin, we have to give out some shout-outs to those five-star reviews. And Matt, both of our five-star reviews today come from Apple Podcasts, and I have one here from Vim Valor, uh, which is entitled Great Podcast with a Gym. This podcast is great. It's got inspirational ideas and helpful advice, interesting facts, and fun hosts and guests. To top it off, all these things come together in a way that you can use in your players' real imaginary lives. Their early episodes are just as relevant as their current ones, and I would recommend listening to them all eventually. If listening isn't enough for your kinesthetic learners out there, don't worry, they have a gym. Oh, we would like to we would like to thank Vim Valor for that wonderful shout out there. And uh, you're right, it is a great podcast, and we do such a wonderful job. And you know what, Matt, all that heavy lifting seems to be paying off. Yeah, we have totally sick gains, and all of our listeners of our podcast have just flexed all of their mental Dungeon Master muscles on the entire world. All thanks to us here at the Dungeon Masters Block. Our second Apple Podcast review comes from. Anon Amos 2. That's one creative name. A creative noob's best friend. As an inspiring DM with her first campaign rolling out in about a month, this has been such a great resource for me. I was never really around people playing D&D, and so I never had the opportunity to understand what all goes into the process and what you can actually do with this game. Hearing your stories and listening to the ideas that you found and or used has been so encouraging. I haven't caught up yet, but I hope that when I do, the hosts still speak with the same fondness of the game as when they first started this podcast. Thank you from DM Kitty Crow 12, smiley face. Uh, we would like to thank, uh, we would like to thank Anonymous or DM Kitty Crow 12 uh, for that wonderful review. Well, and I know that we are particularly fond of Dungeons and Dragons, and it's just fantastic that the enthusiasm that we have brought through the many, many years as hosts of the Dungeon Masters block, we have been able to deliver that to all of our listeners consistently through time and time and time again. That's right, our podcast. Us, Josh, our podcast, uh, yes, our Matt, legacy. Matt, you have usurped Dia Mitch. Uh, this has been your lifelong dream. Well, I mean, I haven't usurped him. I've replaced him completely like Thanos, snapping a, a glove and erasing all of those people from the timeline. And without any further ado, Matt, let's uh, let's head to the meet and talk to our wonderful guests. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Mm. Why can't we have some meats? The plate meat's back on the menu, boys. <laughs> So, for this week on the meet, we have 
put out the call for your questions for an AMA. That stands for Ask Me Anything. But are you going to be asking me anything? No, you're going to be asking somebody else anything. And those are our guests for today. So our guests, would you please introduce yourselves? Hi, uh, I'm I'm Mitch Connolly. Uh, you may know me as DM Mitch from a little podcast called The Dungeon Master's Block. And I'm Chris, and you probably recognize me from the same place. And I'm a father of a two-and-a-half-year-old who now has a trampoline. Ooh. And I'm DM Neil, the producer and editor for Whelmed, The Young Justice Files. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Oh, and yes. here, yeah, and, maybe. And, and from here. <laughs> so, as you may have noticed, if you are a regular listener to the Dungeon Masters Block, of course, I, Matt Keel, co-host of Detentions and Dragons, a podcast geared toward helping educators bring Dungeons and Dragons into the classroom, is not typically your normal host. Nor is Josh Reisted. Josh, would you say hi to the to the listeners out there? Hello, everyone. So, of course, we're not the normal host, but we decided that we're going to do an Ask Me Anything. We're going to flip the script because we're sort of celebrating, what, 200 episodes of the Dungeon Master's Block? Is that kind of the occasion? 200 episodes. It happened. It's like six years in the making, baby, right there. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. This is a legacy. This is older than not only your baby, but your trampoline. (laughs) Much older than my trampoline. That came in the mail today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there you go. A brand new, freshly birthed trampoline versus <laughs> a podcast that has been around for 200 plus episodes. Well, that is a fantastic achievement, and we thought that we would celebrate or commemorate or whatever word you wish to choose with an Ask Me Anything. Now, we put out the call, and just a heads up, we got a lot of questions, and some of you were so dedicated, you asked tons of questions, but we definitely had to reduce the number of questions down to some of the best ones, or at least some of the ones that I thought would be the funnest uh, for this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. But in the future, you might hear some of those questions get answered on Patreon. So if you're looking forward to hearing those answers, make sure that you subscribe, pledge as a Patreon member, get access to that extra information. But I think that we should start off with our first question. So Josh, Hit up our special guests, that's air quote, that's supposed to be funny, with our first Ask Me Anything question. All righty. Well, this question comes from Jared Arktech, uh, who asks, what was your favorite use of a flump in a campaign? Neil, you got something? No, not to that question. Yes, I have something. Um, I thought that in the essence of D&D, we should all roll for initiative so we can figure out who is going to answer these questions first. Oh, okay. Oh, gosh, I don't have my dice in front of me. Does that, does that make me a bad dungeon master? No, but Google upgraded itself, and you could type in dice roller into Google, and now it has a full oh, yeah. uh, full set. Hey, Siri, roll a d20. Yeah, you could just ask your little... I got a hey, Siri, I got roll a, a d20. I got a 13. Rolling. 12 this time. <laughs> there you go. Dang right. it. Okay, I'm going yeah, last. Yeah, Mitch, what's your initiative? Five. Did you add your modifier to that? My dex modifier? No, no, intelligence modifier. Intelligence modifier, so three. Okay, so eight <laughs> for DM Mitch. All right, Chris, what about Wait, were you? Wait, were you, no, 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 you were saying- No, no, no I'm saying- Yeah, you were saying add a minus two, two to that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, add a minus two to that. <laughs> I thought you said, I thought you said three. 
I was I, so I got a oh already, okay, which I should maybe so I, I got a yeah. thirteen. My maybe my modifier is like a minus three because I would have be bad at math. I got a thirteen, and my dex modifier would probably be like a one or a two. So I'm gonna go with either a fourteen or a fifteen. I'll let you choose. Okay, that sounds good. And Neil, what did you get? So I rolled a twelve. Am I using dex or intelligence? You <laughs> can choose whatever you want to do. Okay. We're not the dungeon okay. masters. Well, this time. I am in an, an office with my master's degree on the wall. Like I care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give myself a plus three. I'll go first. <laughs> I'm just gonna say we're terrible guests. <laughs> with this <Yeah>. derailing, <laughs> we suck. <laughs> yeah. Do you wonder why we haven't been on a podcast <laughs> totally. in a, besides our own in a long time? <laughs> Once again, have as many joke them up as you want. I'm not editing this, so have fun trying to make this comprehensible. This is probably the most relaxed oh, I've seen yeah. Matt yeah. in a in an interview like session. He's like, you know, he's not like stick to the critical path. And here, yeah, stick to the critical path. Okay, so let's start off. This first question is: What's your favorite use of a flump in a yep. campaign? If you don't know what a flump is, we should all know since we are dungeon master experts the flump is that farting jellyfish monster that's like a good boy <laughs> but it farts all the time and that's how it travels so neil what has been your favorite use of a flump in a campaign um using 100 of them i mean you could definitely use one but i think the terrifying nature of 100 is far far greater than just using one okay so so interesting yeah mm-hmm Chris, what about you? So I've never actually used one in a campaign before, ever. Wait a yes and on that yeah, one. Yeah, really totally. <laughs> Went the exact opposite direction. I've never used one. So did like why didn't you ever use a flump? Did it just not appeal to you? Did you just feel like you didn't have a place in your world? It just never. It just never felt like I had a good situation to use one. It just didn't fit the story. It always felt like a character that I would just have to like throw in for the sake of using. This is true. I don't know if I were to if I were to think about using one, I would think about like making one just a massive one that's coming to like destroy an entire town. Okay, like just just making a gigantic size and upping its stats quite a bit. Chris, you immediately I thought of something, and now you have forced me to say it. Now we have like one horse sized duck or or ten duck sized horses going on with our two ideas. <laughs> yes, totally. which would you rather fight? Or a massive one that gives birth to a hundred small ones. We do we know the lore about how they reproduce? Do we have any idea about flums and reproduction? Is is that lore that um you th- <laughs> you're wanting to read up on? No, I'm just trying to make conversation on this podcast. <laughs> so, Mitch, what about you? Any? Well, I mean, after after hearing you guys berate Chris for not ever using a, a flump in his campaigns. I would never uh, admit on air that I've never used a flump in my campaign. That would be insane. No, I've never used a flump in my campaign, but I have thought about it a lot. Um, I've I've come up with even I you know how I think a flump would sound uh, speaking telepathically, and I think that uh, flumps would definitely be um, a guide to the underdark if I were to use. Uh, a flump like a fantastic npc guy how would they sound telepathically mitch i think all right let me see if i can pull this off without any practice practice but i think if you were to encounter a flump you would in your head hear something along the lines of hello how are you what are you doing down here 
That would be in my mind how a flump would sound, which I'm going to pull out a, a really like nobody's even, even going to know what I'm talking about. But the reason I think of that is because there was these Star Wars audio dramas uh, way back in the day with uh, the non-canonical uh, Kyle Katarn. And he went to this planet where the, it was like an old Jedi temple planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were these floating, they're almost like dust clouds. Uh, and they spoke telepathically. And that's pretty much what they sounded like. So ever since then, I've been like, that's what a flump has to sound like. Very cool. Okay. This next question is from DM Robert. I have a player that wants to make a warlock pact, but I am unsure as to how much each of us should be involved with pact terms and the creation of their patron. They obviously choose which pact, Archfey, Celestial, etc., and why they are seeking power for them. Do I allow them to decide how their patron looks and acts? Do I allow them to say what the terms, if any, of the pact are? So basically, how much leeway does the player have in the creation of the backstory with the warlock pact versus how much does the dm um i guess add to the narrative with the warlock pact neil you're up you're first in the initiative or are you going to hold your action oh wow first <laughs> off ready uh, nope, i'm not overcomplicating <laughs> that i think that if you're starting out that process i would have that conversation as the patron as the character and and go from there because it it it's an actual back and forth like the patron needs to be comfortable with the deal they're getting in the same way that the player not or rather player character needs to be comfortable with the deal they are getting and certainly that will get abused on either side i'm sure but i would try and play that out in an rp setting rather than text or anything else cool chris what about you what do you think yeah i think it depends on if they start especially what level you're starting at like is it pre-forming that pact or after the fact like if you're starting later you might have already had your character have a pact for quite a while and then it's like hey work out the details of that off script but i love the idea um like neil said if they're meeting this patron for the first time yeah go for it have that conversation in character like if it's going to take a while obviously you can do that like after a session is done so that everybody isn't just sitting there and like either gaining information that they shouldn't or just bored out of their mind because it doesn't have to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think the role playing of it can really give you as a DM the opportunity to one, give hints at what a character, what characteristics this patron has. Like, is this is this patron um, aggressive or is it very passive or is it willing to compromise or is it willing to or is it not willing to compromise? Like you can give th- those sorts of things out through words and actions much better than you can just be texting back and forth and saying, well, this patron is fairly aggressive and this is what the terms are, Mm -hmm. you know? So I would agree with Neil on that. Mitch, anything to add to the conversation? I think when it comes to most things that have to do with, you know, if we're talking about a DM who is creating a world and so your world lore and what a player envisions of an NPC, specifically something as important as a patron, my go-to would just be like, yeah, work on it together. Uh, come up with something here that the player out, what are they envisioning? Um, but most players that I've interacted with also love to have there be some sort of mystery element. They don't, they're not going to want to know every single thing about their patrons. So work, work with your player together on it. Very cool. Very good. Josh, do you want to take the next question? Indeed. And if it's okay, I will just uh, merge the two together because they're rather short. 
Uh, this next question comes from Ryan Yaki, and he I'm going to just uh, actually the next two questions, and I'm going to combine them together. Here we go. What is the best comedy movie ever? And name your spirit animal. Neil, question to you. Oh, my. That's tough. So I'm trying to think of what's the best comedy movie that I could watch over and over. So I'll go with that because obviously this is everyone's opinion. Um, but the original Anchorman is probably a movie I could always watch. So <laughs> that is definitely my answer there. Um, and I will name my spirit animal Steve. <laughs> that, <laughs> probably not what they were looking for. Oh, okay. But. <laughs> no, I, but we I, should totally and, and not what find out any Steve? more information there. <laughs> and and what uh, what uh, genus of animal is Steve? Stevis species. What's yes? Stevis. Steve Stevis. It's a Stevis. I like the idea that yeah. it's a human. <laughs> There's my spirit animal. Steve. I love it. There you go, Chris. Same question. I think that my comedy movie that I could watch over and over. Oh gosh. Um would probably have to be Tommy Boy. I, I love it. that movie. I knew and I was going to have that, to prepare a oh, second nice. answer. I yep, yep. It was either that or Dumb and Dumber. And so I was going to go with Tommy Boy cuz it's like that one I've I've come back to time and time again. It's just it's just a classic and it's one of Chris Farley's best. Um Black Sheep is also funny, uh but to a lesser degree. Doesn't hold up quite as well. Anyways, my spirit animal would be a rhinoceros. Very cool. Mitch so I'm gonna. I knew that Tommy Boy was gonna get stolen. So and rightfully so. Hats off, Chris. Well done. Good. Good answer. We've got the same first name, so I have to steal it. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to go with a little bit different of an angle, and I went for a dark comedy, um, which I really do love, and that is The Lady Killers with Tom Hanks. Fantastic movie. Um, All right. And my spirit animal. Uh, I I'm assuming it's gonna be the same thing as my Patronus. So I've, I've got evidence. It's a fox. That's my spirit animal. There, there you go. Thank you, Pottermore. Right. My favorite comedy Thank of all time now that I've had enough time is Brewster's Millions, and I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> moving on. All right. We, and we are moving on. So Good. Now, this next question is from at Chuckleberry Finn. What is your favorite video game ever and or that you are playing these days? So two options. Neil, you playing any of those video games? Uh, yeah. So my my go to because it's pretty mindless, and that's often the most enjoyable aspect of video games right now is Diablo, Diablo three. Oh yeah, there we go. Just crushing through monsters. Um, favorite video game of all time is definitely speaking of time, the Ocarina of Time. Mm. Um, mm. It's my go to. I keep buying it. They they. Yeah, they got me hook, line, and sinker. Like, oh, it's for the Switch. It looks better. I'm like, I don't really think I paid you $40. Dang it. <laughs> so that's my answer. Very cool. Chris, what about you? Uh, I think the one that I go to most frequently now is the new Animal Crossings game. I'm like in love with that game right now. It's so much fun, so much to do. And it just took everything that I loved about the first one and made it like a billion times better. Uh, my favorite game of all time, gosh, is probably... I'm going to have to say I loved the original Banjo-Kazooie. I think that's one of my favorite games of all time. That and Banjo-Tooie are right up there. Banjo-Kazooie to a greater degree because it was the original, but Banjo-Tooie was uh, by far one of my favorite games um, out there, hands down. Very cool. And Animal Crossing, a game where you have to have a fictional mortgage, exactly what I want <laughs> to do in my spare time. 
until you find Tarantula Island and it's golden. You pay off all of your debt in one sitting. It's great. I mean, just like real life. And Mitch, what about you? Favorite game of all time and or game you are playing currently? God of War is the best game of all time. The new God of War. Uh, Hands down. I love that game. I could talk about it all day and I will. So if I were you guys, I would cut me off and start moving this show. Yeah. So what's the one you're playing now then? Uh, I've been jumping through a bunch of different games. I haven't found one that like really sticks. So I'm like playing seven sporadically like in my spare time because I'm like, eh, this ain't good. All right. Very good. All right. Now, our next question is from DM Jacob. My players want to run a campaign where they hate deities but are too low level to kill them. (laughs) Just reached level three. I want to empower them to the point where they feel they have an effect on the gods, but I'm not sure how. Currently having them hunt down a forging hammer to create a weapon, but don't have anything after that. Any advice? So any advice on where to take a plot where the player characters want to hunt down gods? Sometimes I make terms up. They're not terms that I knew before you've asked this question. But if you have the Freddy Krueger approach to your deities and the amount of people (laughs) that care and concern about them is where they have their power, lower level players could then interact Mm. with clergy or temples or things like that to basically strip away. I mean, you could do it as an espionage thing where they're just convincing people to stop doing it or they're just burning it to the ground depending on which, what kind of player you have. So definitely using it as kind of a, a back road to eventually, um, yeah, take power away. Sure, avoid direct conflict and seize the source of their power. Very cool. Chris, what about you? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the similar approach that I was thinking about was just have them be like low-level grunts in some sort of um criminal organization that's trying to take down deities with really powerful people that are already doing the work and have it be like they're working up through the ranks as they get higher in level where they can eventually do some actual damage that they wouldn't obviously Mm -hmm. be able to do at level three gotcha mitch what about you what do you think yeah i think uh you know you're having them search for a hammer which it sounds like is to build some sort of god of like weapon that can hurt gods Mm -hmm. Uh, i think there's plenty more that you can do with that i think the magic that could go into a weapon that could hurt a god might necessitate having to go on different quests and do certain deeds to empower that weapon Uh, so i think you have a lot of room to play in with that and choose what is it what is the next step after that hammer uh to be able to have all of your players be able to build a weapon that is worthy of taking on a god. And hopefully by the end of that, you've gotten quite a few levels under your belt. Very cool. All right, so this next question comes from DM Thad, who says, what do you think is your best roleplay moment? I feel like most of us will probably pick the most recent one because sometimes time will make us forget the others. (laughs) Um, So most time makes fool of us all. Yes. So most recently, I was going to start a campaign and people like things happen and they didn't show up. So I only had about half my players. So I just had them interact like in a much more session zero extra way than I thought. I ended up having to do so very little. And I sent them on a random kill some troglodyte quest uh, from the dwarves and they just rolled well. They fought each other. I randomly pulled an Ublex swarm that can steal memories. So one of the players had just 
like rolled a 20 and won a like street fight that they shouldn't have won. They mm-hmm. were famous and that was their most prevalent memory. So that's what I took away from them. And so everyone's like, oh, you did so good in that fight. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't awesome. remember this fight. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's definitely my most recent favorite one. Cool. Chris, what about you? I think my most favorite one as a player was playing Cruor. You might remember some of the story times that we did back in the day. Um, just like getting to see a character that's driven all the way through to like want to build a essentially like think about a motorcycle gang. Like he wanted mm-hmm. to build something like that in Mitch's world. And so just getting to do that and like just the elements of like him changing as a character was like my favorite moment of like actually doing character development rather than just being like, my guy's lawful neutral and he's always going to be lawful neutral, but like actually allowing the situations to like mess with him and see how it would uh, impact him was just a ton of fun as a player. I think as um, a DM, one of the most recent, the, the the group that I'm running games for now is a group of completely new players. Four of them have never played D and D before we've done like five sessions. And so um, every moment is like bliss for them. <laughs> so, <Very cool>. um, <laughs> You know, the most recent thing I did was I sent letters with wax seals out to the players because they were following this character through uh, this this evil character that had been messing with them for a while through a portal. Um, and they ended up in this mysterious part of the world in a jungle with these letters in their hands. And they haven't opened them yet, but they've been holding on to them for like two weeks since our latest session. Um, they know they're there, but they can't they can't open them yet. And they're going to open them on the on the next meeting that we have. So this is a Tom Hanks on the island with the package that could possibly help him, but no, <laughs> yeah. I can't open it kind of a thing. Totally. Totally. Yep. That using those real life elements with the with the new players and just like watching the story continually unfold and them just being so curious about it. Like I don't want to make this sound like a bad thing, but it takes like very little work with this group to like get them intrigued on things. And so like every role playing thing that we do is just a success. Very cool. Mitch, what about you? Yeah, for me, uh, again, if you listen to story time on our show and you remember the journey on the ending ending C, uh, Chris will know exactly what I'm talking about because it involves Chris's character, Sonjin. Uh, There was a moment where they were on an island that turned out to be on the back of a like ginormous whale and the whale started to descend and most of the characters had left this this tower behind and Chris's character decided that he was going uh, to stay or you were trapped. I, think I sacrificed decided, yeah. myself and yeah. Chris had in this, order for everybody else to get off. And there was this one NPC character that like looked up to Chris and Chris was his mentor, even though Chris's character f- loved him, but found him annoying. Uh, and it wasn't something I was planning, but I was just like, oh, of course he's going to go after Sanjin and try to save him. And he did and he ended up dying and doing it. And I think that as annoying as that character was uh, to everybody, everybody seemed to be touched by this annoying character's uh, sacrifice. And um, yeah, it, I uh, look back on that very fondly. Yeah. I love being a player to be able to like help create those sorts of elements. Like I, I, kind of toot my own horn. I, I I think I'm pretty good at those moments, but like the reason I love DMing is to give other people those opportunities to be able to do that. And when they do do something like help encourage those things along the way. There are those moments where you end a game night and you all together kind of look at each other and like just know that, that was, was good. good. 
And that yeah, was one of those totally. nights. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Very- All right. Next. Um, so this question is from Morgan Jorgen, queen of the organ. That's a <laughs> one heck of a name. Anyway, what is the best snack for players to bring you? Uh, so if you're listening out there, players. And you hope that they are. Yeah. So there's a local company that makes beef jerky called Ravens. And it's just nice because it doesn't have all the preservatives and tastes like you're like, doesn't have that squeaky feeling mm-hmm. that like the overproduced stuff does. Also, <clears throat> if you open it, you need to eat it like immediately. So hot Western style Ravens beef jerky, not hot, hot. It's gross. Chris, what about you? Yeah, I do. A, I do a pretty decent job of eating healthy. But the one thing that'll get me at a table being a DM is if somebody brings me sour gummy worms. Oh, just hands down, like the best thing in the world. And Mitch? Uh, some sort of delicious cheese. <clears throat> I don't want no American cheese. Uh, I want like, I mean, if you want to go with a simple, I guess you can go with a brie. If you want to make me really happy, the most pungent of cheeses will make me super happy. So get me a Roquefort or something. A good gorgonzola, a <laughs> yes. little a little Gruyere. Yep. <laughs> no craft singles for you. No, cra- no thank you. <laughs> Get that out. <laughs> well, my answer was going to uh, be Kraft cheese and Rotel to make that cheesy salsa because that's the best. <laughs> Josh, you want to take the next question? Certainly. Uh, from the same uh, contributor, uh, Morgan Jorgen, the queen of the organ, uh, I'd like an advantage or inspiration token thing. What sort of things am I doing at your table to get it? So what does a player have to do to get inspiration from you? If you bring hot Western style <laughs> Ravens beef jerky. It's a shoe in It's all but guaranteed. I, I think for for me, and I know this is a this is a way a lot of people approach it, is that when you can clearly see that a choice has been made because it's the choice your character mm-hmm. would make. Um, and then often like you getting a good read on your players, like it seemed like that was a struggle kind of between player and player character, but ultimately going with what the character wanted because you know, that's what the character would want is almost always going to get inspiration combat. If you really go over the top and do a very good description, oftentimes I'll give inspiration because part of me just wants it to happen. And so I, in those moments, if you don't already have it, I might often give inspiration before the person would roll just so that you can increase the likelihood that the super awesome thing they described might actually happen instead Mm -hmm. of not happening. I like to try and give inspiration at least once a session to everybody, just because it's something fun to make them feel really powerful or do a really cool thing and really get to use their character to their full potential. But I, you know, and that can be given through combat very easily. But I think, yeah, very much like what Neil said, when the decisions that you have to make, like you can see that your character is conflicted about it and they're having an internal struggle about it. And it's significantly changing your character because of what you have to do in order to make ends meet with that decision. I mean, that, that by and far when, or when I see two players going back and forth, not as like two people sitting at a table, but going back and forth as the characters having epic dialogue or really thinking in character or really trying to process the situation, like in the middle of a battle, like how are we going to do this? When like we had a character last time, his name, name is Detritus. He started doing a whole bunch of stuff. And then all of a sudden he realized that this battle was not going to work. And he ordered everybody to retreat, mm-hmm. you know? And that cool. was like, 
not against that was every against everything that like his character would do but his character had this moral dilemma of like if i continue to keep making these people go forward they will follow me to the death and i need to start to retreat and his character is not the person that would do that you know and so like seeing those moments for the characters when they're really being influenced is huge mitch what about you and then for me, I'm really bad at remembering about inspiration. So I've actually, if you come to my table, you're going to get inspiration right at the get-go for showing up. Uh, and the hope is that you will use it again. Uh, I'm going to echo what um, the guys said, especially with like, I really look for those role-playing opportunities. But I've also, at my table, I allow the players to give, not themselves, but each other, that's inspiration cool, yeah. when they think that the other player does something cool or sticks to their character. And that's just another way for inspiration to keep getting thrown out there and keep getting remembered uh, and for it not to just be on me to do that. Very neat. Next question. So next question is from at Matt Parody. Favorite Star Wars location? Kashyyyk. Oh, oh, come on. Come get on. Get out of here. <laughs> I have a rental quality Chewbacca costume, so <coughs> if I don't say it. Wait, you have a rental quality Chewbacca outfit? Yeah, I've actually loaned it out and rent, like basically rented it to other people so that they can use it for events that they're putting on. Why haven't we seen pictures of this? He's had it on the podcast at times. Yeah, guess what? The podcast is a visual medium. We can't <laughs> see the Chewbacca... Well, from now on, you can every time that you hear Neil, Neil's voice, just imagine him in a Chewbacca. Yeah, outfit. he's in a Chewbacca costume right now. I've never seen his face mm-hmm. because he's always in a Chewbacca outfit. <laughs> Wait, it's a costume? You know. Oh, <laughs> no. oh no, man! No. All right, Chris, favorite Star Wars location? Gosh, um, it was gonna be Kashyyyk, but I guess I need to change it now. You don't need to. Kashyyyk would just be so awesome. Like, just hanging out with the Wookiees. They're so friendly. Just don't make them mad. It's pretty cool. I mean, if I had to pick a different one, I think Bespin would be pretty cool. Just, like, living on, you know, the massive cloud cities and the cool cars that they get to drive from city to city. I, I think that would be a pretty cool planet, too, to to be able to live on. Definitely not Tatooine. It's a cool planet, but that place it's nice is just to visit, but so corrupt. I would hate. I would hate living there. I don't think Tatooine is nice to visit. Like it's not a great place. Period. No. It's like Arizona. Yeah, if Arizona was trying to kill you all the time, like if the Grand Canyon tried to eat you, that would be Arizona. Well, there's literally Sarlacc pits on Tatooine, mm-hmm. so the ground will try and eat exactly. you. exactly. Much like Arizona. <laughs> Mitch, what about you? So I really like Tatooine. <laughs> Okay, so if we're talking specifically movie location, it's Jabba's Palace, because as a kid, Jabba's Palace was my favorite part of all the movies. I loved seeing all the different aliens, and it just really sparked my imagination. If we're talking about Star Wars Battlefront locations, then I'm going to have to go with Chris and go with Bespin and Cloud City, because that was always the best map. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right, so same uh, contributor at Matt Parody asks, Werewolf or Vampire? Oh, there's so many layers to this. Like, what type of vampire or werewolf <laughs> well, let's are we talking go, about? Uh, let's play it safe and go classical. Okay, okay. So, so you're saying you're saying like when you turn, if you're a vampire, you're strictly trying to seek people to eat, yep. to suck their blood, and if you're a werewolf, like you're just strictly turning into it and being uncontrollable. So, forego the love story, mindless beasts, curse of Strahd, Ravenloft. 
feel like vampire because it's e- it's somewhat easier to maintain. You're definitely going to have well, you just have a lot of problems. I'm going vampire. They always seem like they have a cooler house. A but cooler you have to be house? invited. That's into a good. It. That's a good answer. Because they have a cooler house, but they always have like people trying to want to kill them. I don't know. I know both of them do. I I think I would go with. I think I would go with. I would, I think I would go with werewolf, honestly, because at least I wouldn't know what I was doing after I blacked out and woke up somewhere else. Like I wouldn't have the I wouldn't have the memories trying to have to like try and bring them back and reconcile them somehow. I would just wake up somewhere naked and afraid and in the dark and not know what just happened. And you could still enjoy garlic bread. There we go. That's true, especially in our American cuisine where we put garlic in everything. Exactly. So I've been able to experience being both uh, in Skyrim and hands down werewolf. No, no, <laughs> n- no doubt about it. Oh, you look you look a little ghastly. Are you OK? <laughs> Getting asked that question all the time as a vampire. Over and the over minute again. they go to sleep, you like suck their blood and it's like you're fine. <laughs> all right. So let's go to our next question. This next question is from DM Exitium. Witcher RPG is all the rage these days. No, it's not. It's Animal Crossing. What are your best tips to help make the rest of the party not feel overshadowed by the Witcher in the group? Have a bard who sings Toss a Coin to your Witcher? Because clearly no one actually cares about the Witcher. Um, <laughs> they only care about that one song. That's my answer. Also, that that's the same problem as the Star Wars one where you have a Jedi. Um, it's really weird and you have to continually shine a light on the story of the other people because the Witcher is going to be more, um, focused on combat and dropping an F bomb. There you go. Chris, what about you? That was going to be my answer. Like just give other people the spotlight because the Witcher is going to try and take all of the spotlight. Like if it's just creating side quests for the other characters to do that, like only they can do because of their specific class, I think go for it. Try and include those as much as possible. Cool. Mitch. I think if you're going to create a campaign where you have a quote unquote main character and you have multiple players at the table, then you need to, as the DM, really make sure that that quote unquote main character or main hero is a player that is going to handle that well. Having played with Chris at my table, I know that he would be a fantastic person to be like, all right, like you're you're the demigod of this story or you're the you know, you are the prince that needs to reclaim his kingdom uh but i in no no moment would i think chris is going to take this over and make it Mm -hmm. boring for uh, his Mm -hmm. quote-unquote sidekicks or the side uh, heroes like they they would 100 percent be welcomed in and be just as big of a part of the adventure so i would say if you're gonna try to shoot for a main character um then make sure that the player who has that role is responsible team loving story building player cool very nice all righty our next question here comes from at dm dan dan fielding who asks how many dice is enough how many dice is too many these are very important questions and there absolutely is a right answer um given that dungeons and dragons has repurposed the standard set from seven and they've turned it up to 11, my answer will be 11. 2d20s for advantage and disadvantage, and 4d6 so that you can roll your stats. So, 11. Very good. 
I think I think there's no amount of dice that is too many, but I think there is a right amount to have for like your main dice that you go to. So like I have my first set of dice that I always go to, the first ones that I ever bought. But I have loads of others for uh, you know extra damage to be done and so on and so forth. I do think there is a right sort of dice bag to have though. And mine is a chain link one that a guy made for me as a present. Uh, after I took the job in Chicago and moved out here. And it's awesome because he knew that I love D&D. Very cool. My answer is that it's not, absolutely not about quantity. It's about quality of your dice because I know too many people who go and buy the giant pound of dices and all those sets. And those dice are terribly weighted and horrible. And sorry if you own them, but quality good dice are beat a multitude of terrible dice any day mitch handcrafting all of his dice yes from whittle dice whittle dice he goes to the dice mine he finds the highest quality and grade dice dice stone has to level up to level he's he's out sowing uh planting and sowing his field of dice you know oh it's a good it's a good d20 harvest today (laughs) good year the drought was particularly harsh on these D20s. They're all <laughs> D12s this year. Just didn't grow enough sides. <laughs> so stupid. Okay. <laughs> um, I think we are down to our last question. Our last question is from DM Dandan Fielding. Are you guys holding out okay? Social distancing going all right? So how are you all doing in your respective locales? Um, yeah, so that's a fun one. I work for community college, so I am a government employee. So technically I am still essential. So I go in about half the time. And I also recently found out that in a full blown disaster relief situation, I'm a disaster relief worker. So I kind of hope things don't go that direction. And my wife works for a hospital. So it's a little scary sometimes because she'll come home with videos of a full-blown movie-style medical tent city Mm -hmm. outside of her hospital and they're like converting floors to be overflow for san francisco for too many cases of COVID 19 Mm -hmm. that they have there so it's really interesting and then like my mother-in-law works for a different hospital so on days my wife works i go home take care of the kids so that we can just reduce exposure. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about being at work is I am more socially distant here than literally anywhere else. I'm like 150 feet away from anybody else. I've got like three doors between me and them. So I'm good. Thank you. That was, that was you a question on everyone's like things mind. around the office. <laughs> no, my, <mind. laughs> that's disgusting. Yeah, I think um, we're doing pretty good. I think on days where the weather is crummy, it gets a lot harder because we would normally go to like a mall and walk around and get pretzels and do things, but that's not even an option. So we're just stuck inside going stir crazy on those days, but we just got a trampoline. So that's kind of fun for our two and a half year old and for my wife. So I think that will help quite a bit. I'm fortunate as I've talked with my family and I'm, I'm like the only one that still has a job as of right now. Everyone oh, wow. else is Ooh. on unemployment or severely part-time from what they were just to make ends meet still somewhat. I'm a pastor at a church here. And so I have a lot of people that are nurses and uh, are doctors in hospitals. And so like just checking in with them all the time is really stressful because I am a very empathetic person and take on a lot of their stress and anxiety uh, of that as well and 
Neil, a lot of what you said is very true for them too. I found that when I put my shoes on when I'm at home is when I'm in work mode. And when I take my shoes off, like I'm out of work mode and like, I don't think about those things. and I don't stress about those things. So that that's been a helpful shift for me to make to help overcome some of that. And I think for me, I think like probably a lot of people right now, it is, it is difficult, uh, coping with being, uh, cooped up, uh, all the time. Uh, I'm, trying to do the best with what I can and do my job for work still and call people on Zoom chats or Skype or just regular old phone calls, uh, whatever people are able to have access to and stay connected with people and just try to put it into perspective. I think for for all of us who are here on this Zoom call right now recording this podcast and certainly for most of our listeners, I think uh, we, we all live fairly comfortable lives. And this may be one of the hardest things that we go through. And in perspective, uh, to a lot of people around the world, that's not that hard. So stay in, keep other people safe, play a video game with your time, call somebody that you love, play D and D over zoom. We have a lot of options and thank, thank God for like the awesomeness of technology There's a lot of bad things about technology, but I think that we're all appreciating uh, the ability to connect through technology. Imagine if we didn't have this and we were going going through what we're going through right now. And I'd also like to point out, I mean, this is also some very difficult times and there are different scenarios and different situations for different families and different individuals. Some people are quarantined at home. Some are on unemployment. Some are essential workers, and they are in our hospitals, and they are in our doctor's offices, and they are at the at the forefront of the COVID-19. But I also think that something that's cool that connects us, not to sound cheesy, is these podcasts. These podcasts help to build this community, and I think that the fact that we're here to kind of commemorate 200 episodes of the Dungeon Masters block and all the people that have joined the Patreon, all the people that have sent us messages via Twitter, the people that are posting on the forums. It's this community. And even though we have to socially distance each other, we don't have to be socially isolated. So we can use these technological mediums to connect together, even when there are difficult times. And we can really be there to support each other. Yeah, it's really interesting. I saw something that, uh, in a way, social distancing is. I hate that that's the term that got popular because one of the, the it's physical distancing mm-hmm. and social. If anything, you should try and have more social interaction and less physical interaction. I, it, so the term social distancing kind of sucks because I think some people have interpreted that in a negative way. Whereas you should just be reaching out as much as you can to check in on people and you don't have to do that by knocking on their door and don't in fact (laughs) so this concludes our ama with the cast or the staff of the dungeon masters block a little bit before we go how do our listeners get in contact with all of you um you can address an email no wait you can send me an actual mail no i'm not gonna give my (laughs) write me a letter uh yeah write me a letter if you want to get a hold of me, the best way is always Twitter, where I am at Jotmoniac, Jack of all trades, master of none, IAC. That's me. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, Chris, you can find me on Twitter at DM underscore Chris one, uh, or you can go on. I have an Instagram handle as well. Christopher D Thompson one as well. You can find me there. 
You can follow me on Twitter at DM underscore Mitch. That's at DM Mitch. No one, just at DM Mitch. That one guy out there that has one DM guy, that one Chris. jerk, DM Chris, <laughs> the original. You're not the original, he, Chris. Or he just stole stole it because <laughs> I waited too long to make it. I don't know. We hope to have you back on the show sometime in the future. And uh, yeah, it was awfully fun to sit around and talk with y'all. Thanks for having us on. I'd love to come back. Yeah, I I'll be back. Don't worry. That's right. And we'll be back to my podcast, Matt Keel's <laughs> podcast, The Dungeon Master's Block, and the other co-host of our podcast, The Dungeon Master's Block, Josh Reisted. Uh, class is dismissed or something, so. <laughs> well, we'd like to thank our wonderful guests for coming on The DM's Block. It's always a wonderful time having them on our podcast, Matt. Uh, where could people find us or get a hold of us at well if you're looking to hear more from us or perhaps mitch and chris and neil why not send an email to the dungeon masters blog you can contact them at dungeon master block at gmail.com you can also uh hop on twitter and follow at dms underscore block on twitter that's at dms uh, at DM's Block on Twitter, or like us on the Facebook page. Both are great resources and great ways to get in contact with the DM's Block. The Dungeon Master's Block is still a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, a family-friendly podcast network that facilitates or caters to all of your TTRPG needs. If you are curious to explore some of our other content, why not check out Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, Geek Wars, or quite possibly the best podcast and the flagship of the network, Detention the Dragons. That's all the time we happen to have here on the Dungeon Master's Block, where we talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all other people at the table. I am DM Josh. Good night and good luck. And I'm DM Matt, reminding you to always keep on dungeon mastering. Goodbye.